All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're doing another Tuesdays with Caroline, talking a little bit about what we would want to tell our college selves if we could go back. So here we go. Welcome to the podcast. All right. So Tuesdays with Caroline, number three, secretly recorded on a Thursday this week. But uh, (laughs) um, Caroline, you and I kind of talked a little bit before our episode this week to see kind of what we wanted to talk about. Obviously, uh, Dr. Carlo is not here. He is actually with one of our mentees here in town um, working on something. I don't even know what. But, um, you know, with with having a little bit more of this free form space, I wanted to kick a few ideas around and we settled on the idea of basically if you could go back and tell your college self whether it's undergrad or postgraduate self one multiple things whatever it might be just to be like hey man here's some insight into the world that you are not aware of but you will become aware of um what would that thing be so Mm -hmm. i i've put a little bit of thought into this one myself um you know, one of the things that first came into mind. So my uh, undergraduate, which is the only uh, degree that I do have is in marketing. Um, But there was a there was a pretty heavy sales aspect on that. And one of the things that I really wish I could go back because I think I would just laugh at myself um, is say just because you can talk doesn't mean you can sell. Um, There was a there was a very um, interesting like uh, I, I realizing now that those two pieces are very, very different, but I thought that they were pretty much the same thing back when I was in school. So I went like heavy into like the sales idea. Um, okay. and it actually kind of put me into a weird sort of like tailspin once I graduated because I was like, Oh, I'm terrible at this. And it doesn't even feel that good to even try it because, I just feel like I'm serving myself when I'm trying to sell people something rather than, you know, living out some sort of purpose. And right. it, it, it's, I'm grateful for it because it did push me ultimately into the direction that got me, you know, to this point in my life. However, uh, having that insight would have uh, leveled out a number of hardships in my life that I didn't really have to realize. Um, and I'm sure, you know, that was kind of why I wanted to throw this at you too, because, um, considering the people that tend to listen to this being more uh, on the veterinary side, they're not going to be like, well, yeah, just because you can talk to the media, you can't sell Ben way to go. Um, but they're going to be more like, all right, I'm in, I'm in school. I'm thinking about going into vet school. I'm recently graduated, whatever that might be. You know, if, if you could go back Caroline and kind of tell your college self uh, something an, an insight into what to expect or some, some wisdom that you'd like to provide to yourself without having to go through the hardship of realizing, it the hard way. Uh, does yeah. anything come to mind? Oh, see, and well, I'm probably going to have to do more of like a thinking through this out loud because I know I have thought about it. And oh, before I like get too far off on a tangent, I was going to say, even though your experience isn't like directly related to vet med, yeah. I feel like those experiences are still relevant to us because I actually have a couple of friends who went through um, the like marketing major in undergrad. And the interesting thing I think about doing marketing and sales is that those, um, like those positions or those, uh, like the students that I knew that majored in that in undergrad, they're very competitive. Like I felt like there were two kinds of sales, um, uh, majors. It was the people who are like super type A, similar to veterinarians, Mm -hmm. super type A and went for like the most competitive internships that they possibly could because they knew that that's what they needed in order to get out and like get the job that they wanted when they graduated and the kids who didn't know why they were doing it. (laughs) Yes. I was the second of those two You were the latter. Yes. For sure. um, But yeah, like I, yeah, unfortunately I feel like there's some things you just have to learn by mistake and you can try to like teach people this, but it's just, yeah. And so like in vet med, I find this to be interesting because it comes up quite a bit with, um, like people who've been out, you know, anywhere from a year to 25 years, it's the question of, would you go back and do it again 
if you had the choice. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with this one because part of me is like, yeah, there's things that I don't like about my job. There's things that you always wish that you could change. But I kind of feel like the whole find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life thing is bullshit. Yeah. Like everybody is going to find something about their job that they don't like, or there's going to be days where you just don't feel like working. Mm -hmm. And I think the goal is like kind of what Carlo's mentality is where I want to pay you enough that when you walk in the door, you can do your job and not have to worry about what's going on at home. And I kind of feel like that's, um, that's like the goal with working is like, you want to be, financially stable enough in your life that you don't feel like you have to work and then work becomes less of a burden. Yeah. And sure. that, that all rolls into vet med because that's a huge issue with us. Obviously right now is debt to income ratio and debt burden. And so I feel like some vets get into the case where they feel trapped mm -hmm. and feeling trapped in a job that you don't like makes you hate your job even more. So yeah, it's a whole like double-edged sword thing, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's yeah. for sure. And that's, uh, that's actually something that I've been trying to um, figure out how to communicate on like a, a solutions level because um, that you, what, what ends up happening. And I, and I, I would even say that it transfers outside of veterinary medicine, but basically any, any type of profession that ends up where it's a skill set where you have to acquire at a postgraduate level. Um, so like, for instance, my brother is an attorney, so he has three years of law school under his belt and all of the student yeah. loan debt that went with that. And your, your postgraduate income at that point's relatively on par with a vet. So similar, but yep. very different. And, um, one of the things that, you know, he kind of hit was um, and, and is still kind of working through is basically the idea of, you know, do I, do I um, stay at this job where I'm not necessarily being as fulfilled as I think I could be, or do I go and try to do this my own way and remove or kind of remove the safety net um, yep. as a means to gain um, significantly more fulfillment in life. And, right. um, him and I actually kicked that, um, around for probably two or three like weeks, just on and off for hours and hours and ended up just determining, you know, with where family and all that sort of stuff was, he actually, um, maintained with the safety net because that was just the right decision to make. Um, uh, right. whereas for Carlo, you know, we actually, when we talked, um, this last week, um, you know, he talks a lot about, um, actually just leaning into the risk because yeah. of the, the opportunity that you can realize, but that's, you know, it, you know, excuse the, the uh, cliche, but that's kind of a different strokes for different folks kind of thing. Um, yeah. and, but, but it does actually shine a pretty important light on that concept of, um, finding, finding purpose and actually knowing it right away. Because if you walk into a postgraduate level, the way that I walked into an undergraduate level where it's like, Hey, I think this might be the right thing for me. Therefore yeah. I'm going to try it. You do actually kind of pin yourself into something, um, yep. that might not be the right thing. And, um, you know, for myself, thankfully I only had, well, five years, but kind of took a semester off in the middle of my college experience. But basically, you know, I, I didn't actually incur a ton of debt. I didn't incur a whole lot of like mandatory life direction as a means right. to regain my investment in myself. Um, but I think there are probably a decent number of kids that are in vet school that like, well, I went through the biology or the pre-vet thing and now this is just what I'm supposed to do. But they're right. really unsure specifically um, if it is the quote unquote right thing. Um, and then kind of going circling back all the way to where you started. Um, one of the big things that you can actually just throw out as a cautionary tale basically is, um, realizing the fact that it doesn't matter what you're doing at some point, it's going to feel like work. Everything yep. feels like work. I absolutely yep. love what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And there are many, many days where I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall and just working as hard as I can, but it's, yep. it's not, um, 
in vain, I guess is the easiest way to put it. And you have right. to have a level of perspective where it's like, you're going to put in, uh, you're going to, you're going to sacrifice, you know, a little bit of yourself, a little bit of your time. Um, so, sometimes a little bit of your sanity, depending on what you're working on and you're doing it with the, um, understanding that it, number one, having a greater purpose is huge in that respect, but also yep. um, re- regaining that investment in yourself and just being willing to go through some of those hard knocks, uh, I think is a pretty important uh, realization for some people to have, because if they walk onto a job and say, you know what, I did my eight years um, and I, I survived vet school and now it's day one and I'm ready to go and I just love what I do and it shouldn't feel like work. And then they just get kicked in the mouth. Like that can be really demoralizing, I think. Yeah. The vets who compare themselves to like the James Harriet, like you grow up reading James Harriet and you're like, oh, this is this is exactly what um, is going to give me all the warm fuzzies and what I want to do. And then you realize like that's, you know, almost 80, 75 years, maybe even more like outdated. That's not. I mean, yeah, it's, it's great to like read and hear those stories and you might occasionally get some, um, you know, cases or scenarios where you get the warm fuzzies similar to, you know, the, the James Harriet, James Harriet riding in to save the day kind of thing. But like, those are going to be much fewer and further between and they can't sustain you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so coming back to the whole, like, would I do it again? I am one of those vets that I feel like I would probably do it again and that I probably am in the profession that I should be in ultimately. Um, I've thought pretty heavily about like, you know, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, what would I be doing? And I don't think there's a lot of things that... I would necessarily fit into, it would have to be something like sciency related, probably biology related. So like maybe a master's PhD, like working in a lab somewhere. But the thing is, is that I, I still like the big, the big puzzle pieces. I'm very much a 30,000 foot view thinker. And so the issue with like PhD work and all of that is that you, your, um, focus a lot of times as a PhD in biology or, you know, pick, pick a category, um, is so narrow and deep Mm -hmm. that like, I think I would still feel relatively unfulfilled. Um, even, you know, at that highest, highest level of academia, um, I think it just wouldn't bring me as much purpose. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, uh, vet med and especially as like a GP, um, you still have like that depth of knowledge, but not obviously not nearly as deep. Um, and, but it's much broader. Um, you're, you're much more a Jack of all trades kind of thing. And I, I like that. I like the big puzzles, um, and more of the 30, 30,000 foot view, um, aspect of things. So I think if I wasn't doing this, I'd still be doing something heavily science related. Um, but I think vet med and, and medicine is a good choice for me. I also think that I'm stubborn enough that I would try to push through it again out of sheer stubbornness. (laughs) Um, because I, uh, and that's one thing I was going to talk about a little bit is, um, you know, people always ask me, not always, but like a lot of times if I meet, um, a, a farm client for the first time, they always ask like, Oh, did you grow up on a farm? Blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, no, I didn't grow up on a farm. Actually. I grew up in the middle of suburbia Mm -hmm. and they always ask, well, then how did you end up doing this? If you didn't grow up on a farm. And I always tell the joke, the same joke that I always tell that my dad loves, which is that I'm the milkman's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) He loves that one. It's his favorite. (laughs) Um, But then I followed up like, yeah, it was, you know, sometime in college in undergrad is kind of when I came to the decision that I wanted to do large animal. And um, because I have the same story that a lot of, um, you know, veterinarians have, which is that growing up, we had a dog and he got really sick and we took him to the vet and 
Um, you know, in our case, we, we ended up having to put him down, but you know, all the warm fuzzies of Mr. Veterinarian and how he took care of us and whatever. Yep. And that's what drew me to the profession originally. Um, followed by, of course, the science, because I was fortunate enough back in the day, I was in eighth grade. So this had to be like in, it had to be before nine eleven. So probably like late nineties, okay. um, MSU had a program. I don't know that they still have this today, but it, it was, um, that has to be your phone buzzing. It is. I don't think, it's I, I don't know okay. why it's vibrating, but it was okay. <laughs> just checking. Um, so they had a program back then though, that was a vet, a summer vet camp and you could apply for it as like an eighth grader. Mm -hmm. And I remember my eighth grade science teacher wrote me like a glowing recommendation about how I wanted to be a vet. And I was so talented in his class or whatever. And, um, I got accepted to this week long vet camp that MSU had where we went and stayed at the university for a week. Um, lived in the dormitories and they basically did different like veterinary related activities with us during the week. And it was really cool. Um, we did some like anatomy and dissection stuff and they actually had somebody come in and do a spay in the auditorium, um, oh. like, and then put it up on the screen for us to watch. Yeah. Um, and then we did, we did go to the zoo at the end of the week and they like took us behind the scenes and like showed us the animal enclosures and all that stuff. But that like really was what solidified it for me, um, being wanting, you know, deciding this is what I want to do for sure. And they did a pretty good job at the end of the week. They, when our parents came to pick us up, they sat us down and they were like, okay, if you want to get into vet school, this is what you need to do. And they yeah. laid it all out high school. These are the classes you should take college these are the classes you should take and then like you know once you get to vet school this is what it's like blah 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 boom you're a veterinarian you know yeah. as simple as that it's just Follow that easy path. yeah <laughs> right exactly um and uh and so that's kind of what set me on the path from there so um so i went to undergrad at michigan state as i've said before mm -hmm. and um at the time I had to decide because Michigan state won't let you, um, major in pre-vet. You have to pick, mm -hmm. um, pick an actual major and then you fill in your prerequisites. So I talked to my counselor at the time. Cause she's like, you have, it's getting to the point where you have to declare a major. And I was like, well, what, what do a lot of, uh, pre-vet students major in at Michigan state? And she was like, well, majority of kids are going to go either animal science or zoology and I was like, well, how do you decide between the two? And she said, well, zoology, there isn't really a good intro course. Um, the intro, like the first course you take in zoology is like evolutionary biology, which is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really difficult, it's a really difficult class. And she's like, I wouldn't just take that class willy nilly. My recommendation would be to take ANS 110 which is the introductory animal science class. Yep. And it kind of gives you an intro to all the different species and all of that stuff. And if you like that, then that kind of gives you your answer. Yep. So I took ANS 110 with, oh, I can't remember the professor's name. She was hilarious though. Um, and it was awesome. I loved it. Um, I couldn't tell you now why I loved it. Um, I remember in one of the wet labs that we had, we learned how to um, handle sheep and we had to learn how to flip them up on their back for shearing and stuff. Yep. And I had a sheep pee on my backpack <laughs> when I was in the class. But I mean, yeah, for some reason I just, I loved it. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I majored in animal science and um, started getting more involved with farm animals and stuff. I ended up getting a job at the Michigan State Dairy Farm in my mm -hmm. senior year mm -hmm. to get some more experience. But I definitely, like, it wasn't easy either. That's the thing that's kind of funny because um, I think part of the reason why I stuck to that path so much is because there were people who told me that I couldn't do it or yeah. shouldn't do it. Yep. And it, like I said, it's like sheer stubbornness. Cause I remember there was a professor 
um, at Michigan State. He at the time was in charge of the um, um, oh I can't remember what the program or what the name of the program was now. But basically at Michigan State they had a program or have a program that if you our animal science major and you um, apply to this program you they hold like 10 spots in the class and it basically is to try and get more students interested in production medicine so okay. production far, farm animals uh-huh. um, so you could if you were a, a production sciences like track animal science major then if you completed the program which it was it was some pretty heavy requirements like you had to do so many summer internships and so many extra classes and blah 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 and then when you graduated you sort of you weren't like a shoe-in you still had to pass the same general requirements but like they held a spot for you because you had completed the program yep um and i remember going to his office to talk to him about the program and um he essentially told me that because I was a city girl and didn't have any experience that they would have a hell of a time finding an internship that would take me because I had no experience and I would basically have to give up my summer to go work at one of the Michigan State um, farms because those are the only people that would hire me and like kind of sort of like shooed me out of his office because I wasn't worth his time. <laughs> Cause you didn't grow up on a farm. Cause I didn't grow up on a farm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, basically left his office and was like, well, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it really did like push me further into wanting to do it. That's the, that's the funny thing is like, if I hadn't had that experience, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I would have gone into small animal. Yeah. you know, or something later on, maybe I would have been like, Oh, I really don't like farm animal. Maybe I will work strictly with dogs and cats. And, but like, because I had that experience, it like pushed me the other direction. It pushed me that much harder mm-hmm. to prove myself. Yeah. And so now, now, now I find it funny when like I go out to a farm or whatever and like people are like shocked when they find out that I didn't grow up on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> Because you just They're speak like, the language and all yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it, it really is something that you can learn. Like, you have yeah. to, you do have to, like, put your mind to it and definitely, like, invest some time in, in learning how to, um, how to be around these people. I still get dinner and supper confused it's that's just it's always gonna be a thing and that's usually the dead giveaway for me is like they're like oh we're gonna go inside and have dinner and i have to think like okay dinner means lunch and dinner 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 means supper (laughs) like because i grew up where it was breakfast lunch and dinner but on the farm it's breakfast dinner supper yep yep so because you never really have time to eat lunch Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where it comes from. So yeah, yeah, that's usually my dead giveaway, but, um, but yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny that, uh, that stubbornness was sourced out of kind of a couple things. Like number one, I think you are, uh, you were were likely naturally predisposed to be just a more stubborn person. I don't know your parents, but, um, I'm assuming that if they were in the room talking with us, they'd be like, yeah, Caroline was pretty stubborn when she was a teenager and you know, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, that definitely played into it. But then that experience that you had with the, um, with the professor one of the things that I think is actually pretty interesting because it was on my list as well um, is uh, wanting to be able to tell myself the difference between um, motivation and purpose um, because what I've learned um, a little bit the hard way is that motivation can be very, very fleeting, um, but motivation can set you in a direction to ultimately help you find purpose. Now, if you're yeah. not if you're not seeking purpose, then motivation will ultimately run out, and you will have to find more to continue to propel you, and that is a very uh, difficult road to live on for sure, because you just, you just, you're just constantly running out of gas. Whereas with purpose, it's kind of a never ending, um, stream of energy because you're always looking ahead. You're always trudging forward rather than trying to get propelled from behind you. Now with that, what, what I, and you can kind of tell me if I'm wrong here, but with what I heard in that story is that engagement with that professor, 
um, set you up with a level of motivation to push you towards this thing that you didn't know what your purpose was yet. Um, because yeah. that would have been still pre or undergraduate. So with yep. that, you know, you're going to be, um, you, you, when we had talked, I believe on, um, Tuesdays with Caroline, number one, you had talked about how your, you know, the, your, your daily purpose, right. Is to help feed the world. Well, yep. that's a, that's huge. Like that's that big 30,000 foot view. That's something that most people don't really think about on a day-to-day basis. They're seeking motivation. Well, you're just attempting to fulfill purpose. However, yeah. if it weren't for that in the moment motivation, you probably wouldn't have actually found purpose. Um, right. It wouldn't have pushed you in that direction. And then you were um, ready um, to receive that uh, and ultimately set your sights on fulfilling that purpose with when with and then you kind of shifted your focus away from that motivation and more towards just the forward forward thinking so um again i i tend to think very very metaphorically but i tend to really think about motivation as a push from behind and i think about purpose as a direction ahead and um when you have a direction in front of you it tends to be something that is significantly more sustainable um that's why i've actually started to steer myself away from even like setting goals because they have they set a period at the end of the sentence um they tend to be pretty finite uh and then once you hit it it tends to be pretty difficult to like reset another goal for at least for myself so um that was something that i was always i was actually a really big um consumer of motivational type material when I was in college because it, you know, it, it does excite you, you know, the Tony Robbins type stuff. It does get you fired up and all that. However, it, it just runs out so fast for, for at least for me that yes, every, uh, a lot of things in my life motivated me in a lot of different ways. Um, and ultimately pushed me towards finding a purpose. But there were years where it was like, man, why am I getting out of bed this morning? Right? Like I need to go find some sort of fuel to push behind me just so I can, um, take this next step today because I don't know where this next step is really taking me, but I know I have to take it. So it can be something that, you know, again, as like something I would want to tell my college self is, you know, be, um, open your eyes towards purpose and don't necessarily look for that next thing. That's just going to fuel your day because that there's no guarantee that that motivation is going to be there that day. However, if you know why you're getting out of bed, that's always there. You can set your, um, set your day up. You can set your week up. You can set your time around that thing. You can continuous, um, actually put a little bit more focus on your own self, um, well-being because you have to have energy to ultimately trudge forward um however it 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 it, that level of perspective i think is really really critical um for those that are getting out of college and again i think with the limited experiences and engagements that i've had with kids that are even in vet school or you know i i coach a high school bowling team you know a lot of these kids are 17 18 years old and they're just like i have no idea what i want to do with my life i'm like well yeah you know try and you know it, it's I, i'm not expecting when you're 17 to have your purpose or even yeah. when you're 23 however right. just be open to it because at some point it might hit you you might find something that you can really hitch on to and start to yeah. run towards it Um, but don't just be seeking the motivation. Don't just be seeking that short term, um, you know, dopamine and, uh, type rush basically, um, you know, look, look out further, look out to the thing that's more sustainable. So uh, that was something that I had struggled with really, really badly, um, for years. And, um, I kind of, it's funny how they guess those two items kind of correlated with your story there. Yeah, they really do. And I think, I think that's a good, um, like as before you said it, I was like, I think I know where he's going with this. And I think he's correct. Is that, yeah, like at the time it was very motivating for me, similar to like that going to that orientation meeting and having the path laid out for me. Those are those short term goals with the periods behind them. Go to high school, take these classes, get good grades, get into college, take these classes, get good grades, get into vet school. Like those are the, the goals with the periods at the end, but it wasn't, it wasn't through 
those experiences that I found the ultimately the purpose for why I do this, I found those experiences or those that purpose through some of the other like side experiences that I had. And namely, like um, I did some study abroad trips. There was one that I did to the Netherlands and Belgium about dairy dairy cattle in the eu and how they're raised differently um in europe than they are here and it was it was interesting because i went with a bunch of farm kids um a bunch of kids who'd grown up on dairies and that kind of thing and so seeing that seeing them talk about their lives and seeing all these dutch and belgian farmers like talk about their experiences and like the contrast between the two and like how do we how do we as a world come together with the different ways that we do things and try and do what's best for these animals and do what's best for, you know, for feeding a, a, a globe worth of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those kinds of things and, and other experiences that I had in classes and that sort of thing is what shaped that purpose for me. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think if I hadn't, if I had just been motivated and just been stubborn i would have gotten into large animal and then felt i mean you do feel burned out but like the thing that makes the thing that keeps you going and the reason that i would go back and do it again is because i did find that purpose Mm -hmm. if i hadn't found it i probably would be much more regretful of what i'm doing now and look back and be like I wish I had done something else. Right. Right. And I think that's what a lot of with the, especially with the techs having that five to seven year exit and with the, with the existing structures that exist in our industry and why we put so, so much into like basically spoon feeding all of our staff purpose is like, it, it is something that is not really, um, a natural way of thinking for a lot of people. And I yeah. think it is something that is greatly lacking in, um, in our industry with, uh, yeah. with, with folks that are of a, a very high skill set, and they've been uh, similar to yourself, right? You were given the path. You were, you were given the items to, to yep. uh, check boxes to cross off. And, and you were provided a struggle to really like, if, if you're ready to um, f- um, fall into that struggle, it can be very, very motivating for a lot of people to put their head down and work really, really hard because yep. it's hard to do that. And, and if you do it, man, you, you succeed, right? That's that super competitive type person. However, yep. when you graduate, who's the person that's doing that anymore? Is it a, is it a yeah. client? Because a client's just going to walk in and be like, Hey man, you're the one that's set in the direction most of the time anyways. Right. And it, what happens I think is those check boxes just start to go away. And, um, it, it's really hard to maintain that level of, of motivation without having somebody in front of you saying, okay, do this, do this, do this. It's actually from a training perspective, one of the things that we struggle with, uh, one of our biggest growing pains with our staff, um, especially on the higher skill set level, you know, you think about triage, right? Like there's not necessarily a, a next checkbox or there's too many checkboxes, I guess, depending on how you look at it. And mm-hmm. they, they struggle with just picking one and saying, this is the one that we're going to do now. Um, it, whereas, you know, for those that maybe are a little bit more focused on that, that quote purpose driven idea, I guess it's like, well, we have to do them all. So, um, I know why we're all here. So we're going to do this one because it makes the most sense yep. right now. And if I screw it up, well, okay, we're going to figure it out. Um, it, it provides that little bit more of a willingness to fail. Um, and you don't, and, but it's ultimately just providing you that, um, that fuel to continue to keep your chin up and look forward, not necessarily feel like you need a propulsion from behind. Um, right. And that was actually kind of goes into the next thing as uh, I know you're kind of on a limited time frame here. Um, and cause I'm curious actually how much of this you did in school, but when I okay. got into um, years, my, basically my, my two years of senior year, um, what ended up happening was I started building a library of books. Uh, now I'm not saying all of those books were good or really all that helpful. However, I started to read way, way more than I did homework or studied for tests or did anything that was actually related specifically to my school experience because 
I was actually exposed to um, a professor who kind of shifted my perspective on it. And he said, you know, that the the university experience will provide you um, a certain level of exposure. However, you're all going to have the same exposure. The way that you're going to differentiate yourself is to actually expand away from that exposure and start to um, really um, engage a lot of different ideas and integrate them into the way that you think. What do you line up with? What do you don't line? What do you not line up with? Um, and but the only way that you can really do that is by reading. So that's probably the thing why people think I'm a lot older than I am. It's because <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> it's because I've read and consumed so much, um, material that, um, I not, not necessarily even agree with, but just to try and spread, um, my vision of the world, uh, continuously wider. And, um, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that in vet school, your time to do that is rather limited. Um, however, I'm curious if that is an experience that you may have had yourself. Yeah, I don't know if I, so I certainly did go through, and I don't know if it's, if it's the same reason that I did it as what you did, but like, I did kind of break away from the, like, I mean, I still studied for tests and that yeah. kind of thing, but I would, mm -hmm. I would say my capabilities as a student definitely declined <laughs> by third year yeah and then fourth year you get a little bit of a boost again because you're in clinics and you're doing more like hands-on things and for me that is a, a much better way of building connections in my brain than reading it or or hearing about it in a lecture so yeah. like actually experiencing it and handling it with my hands and then being able to tie it back to things i had learned mm -hmm. that was easier for me but yeah, my third year of vet school was definitely rough. It was very much a, like, keep treading water. We're not going to go for the star place on the swim team here, mm -hmm. but we just don't want to drown at this point. <laughs> yep. Like, that's where we were at. So I did a lot of reading, but it wasn't necessarily – so I like to escape into fiction. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of the reading that I did was was not like to gain worldly perspective. It was like to escape from yeah. the world. Um, and so I think mine was more of like a protective mechanism, because if I had kept going at the rate I was going at, I was going to burn myself out right, and, and right. probably probably not kill myself as like some veterinarians mm -hmm. very likely would do but yeah. i mean probably have some kind of nervous breakdown or or some you know something like that happen for sure yeah and so my defense mechanism was to like pull back in school and i did a lot more social activities with my other friends we all kind of like um, you know, secluded ourselves in the bar for not that that's the healthiest <laughs> coping mechanism, but I mean, uh, realistically, yeah. um, and so, um, yeah, but the way, what I was thinking about with this was that like, it's interesting because graduating vet school. Yeah. If you don't have like, if you don't have that, that greater purpose mm -hmm. when you're leaving vet school, Cause you can say to some extent, like that you graduate and then you have like your next year or two or three where you're really trying to cement your, um, like your skills, mm -hmm. your hands-on, like your examination skills, your surgery skills, mm -hmm. um, you know, your, your basic knowledge of, of things that you see, you're trying to cement that knowledge. So you still kind of have a next box to check off yeah. but basically it's like you're at that point you're getting to the top of the mountain and you're like i'm up here and i'm supposed to be happy and i'm supposed to have achieved have achieved all of my wildest dreams yeah and now what right it's just and i think yeah and i think that's like the big letdown for mm -hmm. everybody that doesn't have that that purpose or thing that's driving them and that's why you see so much well, I'm not going to say that's the only reason, but I'm sure it's a contributing factor to why you see so much, um, you know, unhappiness in our profession. But I think the thing that like that I always try to remind people and like reassure people is that there are a lot of things you can do with your veterinary degree. You don't necessarily have to use it as 
a GP and practicing clinical medicine. I mean, like escaping that trapped feeling. If you feel like you're trapped and the only way out is to off yourself, yeah. like how about let's like just leave the situation that you're in. Right. Like you can always call your boss and just say, I quit. Right. Like, I mean, really, that's a much easier route to go down than just being like, I don't want to exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's a very simplistic way to look at it because there's a whole other like hormonal imbalance that's playing into that and telling you all those voices in your head are what who you should listen to. But like, you know, people um, working in tech services, working in industry, working in research, working for the government, mm -hmm. working, you can do a million things with your degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, yeah. Or, I mean, if you need to take a year off and go learn how to be a yoga instructor, like do that. I don't yeah. know. I'm, yeah, yeah it, it's, I'm sure that you could open a holistic medicine and yoga yeah. goat studio like it, you know it, what it'll i mean it'll work somewhere right if that's your purpose yeah. then do that <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah i i uh i would agree with your sentiment about motivation versus purpose and that's that's why i put a big emphasis on actually getting into that um that willingness to expand out those horizons and start to read yeah. read stuff that is away from what you're doing is yeah it can be tough because you're exhausted um and you don't really have the the time to do that so you have to you have to kind of make time to read right. things that are outside of your wheelhouse essentially or the even necessarily the things that you're focused on However, that was something, you know, I, I actually, one of my, one of my favorite things about the, my resume at this point is the, in, in life, the two things that have actually brought me the most useful experience, um, have been reading actually three, we'll do three is going to be reading books, <laughs> like basically, and just building this library and gathering ideas and starting to assemble the way that I view the world. And then uh, two is going to be, I was in a band for eight years. So really learned the hard way how to have to communicate on a team level, especially as it relates around creative decisions. That was really, really hard. It was a great learning experience, but um, definitely something that was very difficult. And then the third is, yes, joking, all joking aside, is actually playing Dungeons and Dragons because you have to be able to yeah. sit in a room and communicate with people in in somebody else's shoes, you have to literally be yeah. empathetic in that situation. So those three things, not, that's not my college experience. That's not any work experience that I've really ever had. Now, those things do help reinforce the things that have widened my scope because I've really, it's really pointed me in the direction and provided me the opportunity to express some of the things that I really wanted to, to uh, look at in my experiences and with the thing, with the way that I do view the world or whatever it might be. Um, however, that's where I actually got those skill sets from. Um, work and school just allowed me to um, kind of try them out, basically put the shoes on and see uh, where they take me. So yeah. um, that's why I really do recommend um, getting out and reading stuff and just consuming material. I mean, I spend too many hours on YouTube just finding all sorts of ideas of just you know, business theories and, um, like different philosophical things and all sorts of stuff. Um, but that's something that, you know, for, for myself, um, I think is going to continuously keep me to the point of never actually reaching the top of that summit that you talked about yeah. because there's never a top. I'm always, um, expanding the, the width of the mountain so that I can just continue to push my way up. Um, be, because I, I don't, I never actually want to reach the top. I want to continue to, um, work, um, towards something that is far greater than myself. So yeah. that's one way that I do that. And if I yeah. would have known that when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school or in, uh, in college, um, it, it would have honestly just been nice to had a, an even greater head start on it. Um, and would be something that I'd recommend to anybody, but especially those that are in college. Yeah, that's interesting. I would have to sit and think about like what experiences like similar to the list that you made, what experiences really have shaped 
the way that I do things. I mean, I know that I do tend to, um, I, I like, I take on a lot of, of, uh, hobbies, whatever you want to call them. And my mother would like to say that if I had an extra five minutes in a day, I'd find another thing to do. Yeah. Um, so, but cause yeah, like you're talking about expanding the mountain. And so I know that that does happen for me too, with like other things that are not related to vet med. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, I grew up in a German cultural club. My grandparents are from Germany. And so my dad grew up in the club and, um, and similarly, like I grew up in the club as well. And so now being older, I've decided that like, this is a very important thing that's happened in my life. And I want to like continue, um, having that experience for like, you know, for future generations and hopefully for my future children to have. Um, and so I joined the board for our club in St. Paul, um, basically took on the position to try and help out with that. So like the whole communications things, Mm -hmm. um, and communicating with people and trying to accomplish tasks and, you know, what is our goal and purpose as a club and, you know, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. um, is interesting. And then, um, like in undergrad, um, I actually minored in theater, which Mm. is quite odd. Yeah. Not, not in acting, but, um, I, in high school, I had, I had gotten involved in theater and started doing a lot like behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of the electronics and the, the lighting. Okay. Um, and so that's something that I got into doing in college and then liked it so much that I was taking enough classes in it where I was like, well, I might as well get a minor while I'm at it. (laughs) Um, and so two of my, two of my jobs, two of my three jobs that I had in undergrad were in the theater department, um, in the scene shop, building sets, and then working for the electrics crew. And then I actually worked for as an overhire for the union. Um, so when they would have big, so IATSE mm-hmm. is like the international stagehands union. Mm-hmm. And basically anytime they had a large like concert or a show come through East Lansing, they would call the union members. And then if they didn't have enough people in the union, they would call the overhire list. Yep. And so I was on the overhire list and that was really interesting for me. Cause again, it's like an environment that is totally different from, you know, what I do now and have ever done in my life. Yeah. Um, I learned how to weld while working in the scene shop. <laughs> and that's probably um, a very useful skill set being in large animal medicine now. <laughs> right. I surprisingly I have had I've yet to use that skill, but I do know how to do it. Yep. Um, but yeah, and so I, I would have to sit and think, but yeah. it's interesting that you brought up all these like very different experiences that you've had because I have also had a lot of different experiences and I like to branch out into things that I've never done before. Like in vet school, I picked up doing CrossFit. I had Mm -hmm. never been an athletic person. I would not call myself an athletic person. I never did sports in high school and college. And then in vet school, I was like, I'm going to do CrossFit. Why not? (laughs) Like, and so now that was like jumping into this whole new category of things that I, you know, yeah. So it's interesting. And that's actually kind of one of the things that you had alluded to in the middle and try to kind of try and wrap this up is um, that you had talked about how you uh, within veterinary medicine, um, the thing that tends to be more fulfilling for you is having more of a wide skill set, not necessarily one that is terribly deep. Um, And I think a lot of times, um, what uh, some sometimes can be demotivating for people and is actually something that I've struggled with uh, myself is that when you don't have that level of depth, it feels like you can hit your ceiling pretty fast on a lot of different things. However, you can talk about a lot of different things. So what what ends up happening to me in my world is um, I'm pretty knowledgeable on a lot of things, but I'm not extremely knowledgeable on very many things at all. And so I can I can have a lot of different types of conversations. However, when it comes to actual 
um, fulfillment at a deep level of things. Um, sometimes I struggle pretty significantly. So in my world, um, video production is actually something that I struggle with. I know enough to be dangerous. However, yeah. if you, if I tried to make anything beyond a, you know, a basic podcast like this or, you know, any sort of like significant, um, video, um, I, I struggle greatly and it actually like kind of stops me in my tracks because I have all these ideas of things that I know that are possible. I just have no freaking idea how to do them. Um, and I don't necessarily even necessarily have the resources to fulfill them. Um, so I think what a lot of times happens to people though, and one of the things that I've just come to terms with is that you need people that have a wide skill set and you need people that have a deep skill set. Um, the world needs both of those types of people. You just need to figure out which type of person you are. Um, and what, with kind of what you had said there was, you know, if you would have ended up in the narrow, but deep, it, you would have felt like you were missing out on a lot of different things. And that's actually exactly what I came to terms with a while ago as well. Mm -hmm. Again, still continue to struggle with it because I want to know more and more and more on a wide variety of things. Sometimes that can get a little bit overwhelming. However, (laughs) um, basically there are experts for all sorts of things in this world. Um, In the vet world, right? There are people that are oncologists. That's what they do. There are, you know, epidemiologists. There's all sorts of people that have that very narrow skill set, but that one that goes very, very deep. And uh, the the reason I say it is just know who those people are and use them. Like uh, provide them the opportunity to succeed the same way that they're going to provide you the opportunity to succeed on all of the things that they know basically nothing about. There's a major strength in being able to maximize on understanding if you are a wide type thinker or a narrow and deep type thinker. So uh, just something to kind of kick around if you're, you know, struggling with, um, you know, where, where do I put my time in learning some of these things or what do I really want to do? It's like, well, do you want to be a wide uh, and, and shallow or narrow and deep in the way that you are expressing? your skill sets. So, um, yeah. yeah. And with that, I know you have an appointment that you're probably just pulling into. So, um, <laughs> Caroline, um, anything else that you'd like to add before we take off? No, I think, I think this was a very productive hour. I completely agree. <laughs> and I thank you for your time. Um, yeah. so yeah, uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week.